0: One of the reasons that I wanted to actually do this particular event is because I've seen a lot of people who get their careers sabotaged by difficult people in the in business situations. Whether they're an entrepreneur that's seeking uh, financing from somebody, or you want to get a credit, so you decide you're going to help out um, a new director, and the next thing you know, it's like your life is over. You can't, you know, you can't do any other work. He calls you up at any time of the day or night. Um, I think most people benefit from a good understanding of knowing who to work with and who not to work with. Also, it helps to know what to do with difficult people when you can't just walk away from the deal. My name is Nancy Fulton. I'm a writer-producer, or serial entrepreneur. I started multiple businesses, and I started my first business right out of college. I created this event to let people know that difficult people are, aren't an uncommon problem for creative professionals and working entrepreneurs, and because I wanted to help people who find themselves getting sabotaged and derailed by difficult pe- people frequently, because it, it is something that happens all the time. I think the first place to start is the difficult people are a fact of life. And some people might say you should just make an effort to avoid them all the time. And I've actually heard people say that. But the truth is avoiding people who are difficult all the time will really stall your career and sabotage your business because ultimately there are difficult people. There are a lot of difficult people in the world and you can't be so afraid to do business with them or so afraid to do business with all of them that you you basically make it impossible for you to work It's also true to say that not all difficult people are created equal. Some difficult people are actually worth the hassle they cause, at least for a limited period of time, and some really aren't. Some of them are really physically dangerous, and the second you recognize them, you should run away. And you need to know the difference between them so that you know who you should be working with and who you shouldn't be. So let's start with a quick reality check. Everybody in a transaction should win. So when you choose to do business with somebody, they're supposed to be better off when it's over and you're supposed to be better off when it's over. When you're in a business deal, and especially when you're first setting up the business deal and you notice that the other guy is gonna win but you're gonna lose, like they're, you can see how they're gonna benefit but the fact it's not clear how you're gonna benefit or it's not clear that it's certain that you're gonna benefit, that's a good reason to, to reconsider Whether or not you want to be involved in that particular deal. The second thing is, we don't all have to win equally. The participation of some people in a business deal may matter a lot more to the success of the project or may produce a lot more economic value than another person. So I don't think it's good to get hung up on the idea that, you know, Joe's going to make twice as much money as me. Well, if Joe's name talent, you know, Joe's a name director, Joe's a name actor, Joe's bringing a lot of customers to the equation. Maybe it's okay that he makes more money. Um, that doesn't necessarily make, make him difficult. It just means that he's bringing more to the table than you are. Um, and your objective is to make it so in the future, you're the one with more customers, you're the one with more money, you're the one with more credits, so you're the one that gets a bigger share of the deal. People are allowed to say no to a deal, and they're allowed also to stop a deal in progress if the deal is changing so much that it's not in their best interest to do anymore. So sometimes people think just because they've said yes to something, no matter how much that deal changes, they're gonna to have to continue to go forward. And that's actually ridiculous. When, if you sign up to deliver 100 apples and the guy turns around you know, two days later and says, oh, you have to deliver 1,000 apples, you don't have to deliver 1,000 apples just because they changed the deal you have to deliver only what you signed up with and if they're not going to be happy with that then you have a good reason to walk away because no matter what happens the they're not they're not going to feel like they're better off and it sounds like you're not going to end up feeling better off either because you're going to have to deliver a thousand apples to make them happy now Your objective in a deal is always to end up better off economically and personally than you were before. So if you're doing a deal and you're making a lot of money but it's absolutely ruining your life and it's gonna destroy your marriage and it's making it so you never see your kids, you really have to weigh that cost to determine whether or not the deal is worth doing regardless of who's involved. And a final note, a fish rots from the head down. So when you're looking at doing a deal and you're not going to be in charge of the deal. You're not going to be in charge of the team. You're not going to be in charge of, you're not going to be getting paid first. You're not going to be in charge of how the customers are served. Your ability to resolve problems is really compromised. There's not a lot of things you can do to fix that if it goes south. So when you're in a situation where it's not your deal and you can't determine who's involved in the project, your focus really has to be on protecting yourself and protecting your career. And you need to know, sort of, as you go in, when you're actually going to, when, what set of conditions might make you decide to abandon ship and step back from doing the deal, and under what conditions you might say, you know what, this isn't worth me doing anymore, and I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to stop being involved in this particular project. There's no good process to do something criminal, or abusive, or deceptive, or unbeneficial to customers. And or to the team that's doing the work, right? So, if if you, um, the, the kind of the worst possible process that you can be involved in is something that's ultimately fraud. And sometimes people don't realize they're involved in fraud. They don't realize why a project is really, they're really struggling to do a project and nothing ever seems to go right. And people are acting really like jerks and they don't realize for a long time that the reason that's happening is because nobody likes the project, because everybody thinks it's a fraud, or everybody thinks it's screwing over customers, or because um, everybody feels like they're being screwed over. So you need to be aware in a situation when somebody's asking you to do something criminal or abusive or something you think is deceptive or something you think is unbeneficial to customers, that's gonna be a bad process and there's no way that that's gonna be happy no matter who's involved. So you're not literally looking at a difficult person at that point you're looking at the fact that the process itself is just screwed up. Um, It's also possible that a whole bunch of people you or a whole uh, might decide to build a project or you somebody else might decide to build a project and bring you in and the project its objectives might be great and um, the team uh, itself might be great like all kinds of great people are involved but the, the process by which the project is built um, is screwed up and because it was built badly at the beginning it can never be straightened out and a kind of perfect example of that is for those of us that have worked in the entertainment industry there's almost nothing worse than somebody deciding to produce a film without a finished script so you end up with things like water world you end up shooting for days and days and days and months and months and months and months and years <laughs> and throughout all that time and despite all of the money that you're spending you're never gonna end up with a finished film because you don't have a finished script, you know, or it may take you years to get to a finished script and and the end result might be that the movie you thought you were making is not the one you end up making simply because they had to, you know, the script was being changed constantly throughout production, nobody ends up happy. So if you have a, a process like that, it may be the case that you aren't working with jerks or somebody's not causing problems, it's actually the process itself that's destroying the relationships between people and making it so nobody can get any good work done. I usually tr- try to make sure when I'm working on a project, and I have to, again I've been um, running my own business uh, since like I think I was twenty one or twenty two and I' at this point i I've really decided, based on my past experiences that there's there's a couple conditions that have that have to be met. So, a couple of questions I ask myself before I'm willing to really get involved in a project. The first one is Are we all here to make money? You know, it's not just the case if I'm doing something philanthropic, I'm doing something philanthropic. It's going to be short, it's going to be over quickly. I'm going to deliver what I was supposed to deliver and I'm going to go away. But if I'm working with somebody long term, we all have to be in it to make money because otherwise, there's nothing. Otherwise, we're talking about a charity and eventually we're all going to run out of time and, and interest in moving something forward. The second question we have to ask ourselves is, are we all competent? So we could all be here to make money, but if we're shooting a $10 million film with a, with a uh, DP who's never held a camera before, it's not going to go smoothly. The next thing is, is the intent to give customers something that they really want and that they're going to tell people about? You know, that's how people mostly make money. People see a great movie or they read a great book or they um, buy a great graphic novel and they like it so much they tell people about it. That's where most successful projects get their growth is from happy customers. So if what we're producing isn't something that customers are gonna love, I don't know. I'm not necessarily interested in being involved and I think that most people should take a step back and think, you know, if, if we're not gonna make customers happy, then why bother to do this at all? So if you ask yourself, now that we're, let's talk. actually talk about difficult people that you might run into. The first thing is they make deals fall apart every single time they're involved. And you've got this, you really like this director, you really want to work with them, um, like you're a filmmaker, um, and you really want to work with this particular director. And every time you bring him to a meeting, you know, the people that pre- you previously wanted to work with want to have nothing to do with them, that's a good sign that, that they're not a good person to work with because they make, they make deals fall apart just by sitting down at the table. The second, thing, the second um, characteristic you can use to identify somebody who's a bad apple is that they refuse to make enforceable agreements. They will not, they will not sign a document that lists the things that they're going to do or how much they're going to charge you. A third characteristic is that they prevent, actively prevent people from working together. You know, if two people are talking, they insist on getting involved. If there's a portion of the team that they're not in charge of, they insist on getting involved. And, and then they blow that part of the project apart and then they do it again someplace else. So every time they see work happening, they kind of stop it. A fourth characteristic is if you meet somebody who, um, or trying to work with somebody who makes threats and keeps secrets, there's nothing more divisive on a team than having people who say, well, you know, you know, don't tell Fred that, that um, I'm paying you twice as much as I'm paying him. Well, what the hell, man? (laughs) One, why did you tell me? And two, why do you want me to keep it a secret? That's just stupid. Now, every time I see Fred, I got to think about the stupid thing. Uh, Another symptom of a bad apple is they make last minute changes, deletions, or additions to sabotage the project's success. So somebody who comes in at the last moment, you know, you're all racing toward um, getting something finished, or you think you've got a bunch of decisions made, you're going to move into production, or you're going to put this deal together, you're going to finish this book, or you're going to finish this uh, marketing project. And they come in and they go, oh, no, no, the ad work's all wrong. Oh, no, 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 we have to put, you have to do this too. And it's like (laughs) doing stuff at the last minute is the worst possible time to do it. It maximizes the um, cost and it maximizes the damage to your project. So people who insist on doing things at the last minute are the kind of people that are usually um, kind of too lazy to work at the beginning of the project and then only decide at the end of the project that they actually want to do their job. Bad apples also tend to divert project attention to emotional management for themselves and their victims. I've, it always startles me when, when I see, and it's, I've seen it sometimes on really on what you would think are very well funded, very well organized projects. And that, but you'll notice that some huge percentage of the time is spent trying not to make, you know, Mr. X unhappy or, you know, comforting the secretary or comforting the, um, you know, the graphic designer or comforting the contractor that Mr. X last worked with because they're in tears or because now they're threatening to sue or because they haven't been paid. So when you, all of that attention that's devoted to dealing with the emotions of Mr. X and his victims is a total waste of time to the project. It's time that you didn't budget for and it's time that you didn't plan to spend doing something that's not going to make you money. If you always have the sense that something else is somebody's priority, so you you want to work with somebody, you decided you're going to work with somebody, and yet somehow, whether you're always at the bottom of their list of things to do, the only reason you would choose to work with them is because um, the slightest bit of attention they give you or the slightest bit of recognition they give you is going to translate into great career success. But you want to minimize how much you do with somebody who who doesn't consider you and your work and the work you're doing together a priority. You need to take a look at the people that you're considering working with and kind of figure out what category of difficult person they're falling into. Some folks are criminals, just plain full bore criminals. Some folks are suicidal and self-destructive. Some people are manipulative. Some people are sadistic. Some people are narcissistic. Some are mentally ill and confused. Like they're not bad people, but they're not you know, firing on all c- cylinders. And some people are just plain incompetent. And the first time you identified that somebody's a difficult person, you need to stop and you need to sort of analyze them by watching their behavior and by listening them talk to find out exactly what kind of problem child you're dealing with here. To the extent possible, when you find yourself in working with a difficult person, you need to change your focus from trying to control the outcome of the situation, like trying to get, make the deal go forward, or trying to make sure contract gets signed or try to make sure that somebody gets paid to focus on what the hell is wrong with this guy you want to we want them to get them you want to get them to talk as much as possible because you want to listen to what they're saying you want if they're talking you want them to talk if they're crying you want them to you want them to cry the rant explain you want them to talk as much as possible so you can figure out what their issues are and what you know what kind of person they are and also you want to pay attention to their behavior you want to check out their tone of voice, their speed of speech. In other words, if they're talking really really fast and or um, most of the time they're very smart but now suddenly they're very confused. I mean you may be looking at somebody that's got some sort of addiction problem or some kind of um, intermittent mental illness that you have to deal with. You also want to pay attention to what they're afraid of because mostly in most human relationships fear drives the most bad behavior. So the things that they're afraid of, and um, the things that they choose to do because of their fear, you should pay particular attention to. Studying their actions is a good way to determine what their true objectives are. Sometimes when you're working with somebody who's difficult, you may notice that they have a big behavior change. And um, when that happens, it may be a particular incident has caused them problems. Maybe two weeks ago, they got in a car accident, you know, and they've been really rattled ever since. Well, that's a different situation than somebody who's never been rational or easy to do business with all the way along. Maybe they're getting a divorce. That's something that's going to make their behavior bad at the moment, but it's something you can deal with and move forward on the project that you're working on. And you want to see if their current statements and behavior are in line with what you're seeing now. And and if they're not, you want to find out what changed. Were they always lying? Um, Or are they um, just lying to you now? Or is it the case that they really don't think that they're lying because they think they're gonna come through on the promises that they make? And you also need to take a look at whether or not at this particular moment, they can make a deal and abide by it. And if they can't, have you ever seen them make a deal and abide by it? Some people, it's amazing how many people in the entertainment industry and how many people in working as entrepreneurs are capable of getting by year after year, after year, after year, without ever really coming through on the promises that they make. If you notice that someone it It really appear apparently has the objective of defrauding um- cu- paying customers or has the objective of screwing over members of a team like uh they want to do a deal with the studio and they want all the money to go into their escrow account and then even though and then they'll they'll dole it out when they think um, people need to get paid and then it turns out they never pay anybody well that guy's a criminal, and the interesting thing about criminals is there's a lot more of them than you think there are. And the first time as an entrepreneur or as a producer or as a screenwriter or a a book author or any other kind of creative professional, the first time you meet a criminal, you'll be shocked and you really won't believe it's true. But the truth is there are a lot of criminals in in this country and they really do hurt people. Um, You can often identify criminals because they don't want you to look into their past and they don't want you to look into deals that they've done before. And when you ask them for references, you know even if they've got a 20 year career, they can't provide you with, you know, they can't provide you with two. And the reason that they don't want to put people looking into their past is because they do this kind of thing all the time. A person that's a criminal is a criminal all of the time. So often what happens is if you do try to look into their past, you know, you're doing you're doing a deal with somebody, like, let's say say somebody's an investor and, um, you know, as part of your due diligence to find out whether or not they're actually going to give you money. Um, you start looking into their past. Well, if they go ballistically angry and they don't want you to ask questions about who they've worked with in the past, that's really unnatural. Most of us realize that to live and work in the the world, we have to be able to point to people that we've lived and worked with in the past. It's just a normal part of doing business. And when somebody gets angry when you try to do that, that's because they've got something to hide. Sometimes um, uh, these people will be abusive to you, you know, and they'll threaten you. And other times they'll just fade away. Now, what's important to realize about criminals is that if they're willing to screw over customers or they're willing to screw, screw over other team members or they're willing to um, misrepresent themselves, they're gonna, eventually they're going to screw you over because well, they're going to try to screw over um, third parties with your help. So you wanna, there's really no honor among thieves. They're not going to just screw over this person and leave you untouched. That's not the way criminals work. They're greedy, and the heart of greed is that they want more. They'll, they want everything they can possibly get. And often, they're going to involve you in dangerous and expensive situations, and then they're going to disappear because that's what they do. That's how they've managed to do this. Um, that's how they've managed to, to become a criminal who does criminal things all the time and gets away with it. They're good at getting other people in trouble. When people are very depressed and they're badly in need of emotional help, they become suicidal and self-destructive. They can't be reasoned with, and they really can't understand complex plans, so they're impossible to work with. And these people have no faith that anything is gonna work out well for them, and they really don't have any energy to follow through on complex promises that they make. And furthermore, they also worry a lot about losing what they have. So when people are suicidal and self-destructive, they stop taking phone calls. Every time you see them, they're down. Their, their life is usually falling apart. Um, and sometimes they sabotage projects <clears throat> simply by not showing up or by leaving without warning. They're just, they're fragile as glass. You can sometimes get these people to perform if they don't have to do very much. And you have to understand when you're working with people who are suicidal and self-destructive, you really wanna make sure that you provide rewards throughout the process. These are the kind of people that, you know, um, You want to pay them like at the end of every week, you know, (laughs) or you know at least some of the money, because they just don't believe anything good's ever going to happen to them. And um, I've been on several projects with suicidal and self-destructive people, and the only thing I've ever found that works is keeping them sort of here in the here and now, um, focused on just what they have to do today, so they can they can go home, you know, with cash in their hand or with something that makes them feel better, so they can actually you know survive till the next day. It's just a day by day by day kind of thing. You, you can't make any bigger plans than that. And you, you should recommend that they get, you know, mental health care counseling and stuff like that. But a lot of times they won't. That's how they ended up suicidal and self-destructive. Sometimes you run into people that are just really manipulative. They, um, if you were to go look up the technical definitions of psychopaths and sociopaths, a lot of times they just want what they want. And, you know, they, they want money. And, um, the only time that they're ever going to do something for you is because you're going to give them money. And once you give them the money, they have the money and they don't really feel like they have to do anything else because they already have your money. So what else are you going to do for them? You know what I mean, they don't have the feeling that, that, um, unless you're going to get something tomorrow, they don't really have a lot of interest in whether or not, uh, you are paying them, <laughs> you know, or if you have paid them, they just don't care. So a deal is only a deal when it's in their best interest. Sometimes what's in their best interest is holding a deal hostage in order to get more money than they were going to get paid otherwise. And I think most of us have worked in the industry um, with someone who's a player who constantly changes the deal every single day so it gets better and better and better for them. These people think negotiation starts after the contract is signed. And when you work with these kinds of people, you want to make sure that they get most of their payout at the end. What you don't want to do is pay them up front, though that's what they're going to want. You want to make sure that they get paid at the end, so they go, they get the biggest pay at the end of the project. And finally, you want to make sure these people are very visible to people they care about, so they get embarrassed or their reputation is harmed if they fail to perform. Now. There are true sadists in this world who actually like to make people cry. They enjoy people's humiliation and pain and fear. That's actually a payoff that they get. They actually enjoy making people cry. They're, they're, it's, they're not doing it because their feelings are hurt. They're not doing it because um, they want to get something out of somebody. They want to hurt people. And, you know, sometimes sadistic behavior runs a gamut from being annoying, like kind of like, you know, bullying and... Uh, you know, mean jokes and calling people nicknames they don't like to actually homicidal. You know, it's all fun and games until somebody gets murdered, right? Now, these people are only somewhat motivated by status and approval. The only reason that they like status is because it lets them get more people that they can abuse, you know? And it's interesting how many people in the entertainment industry, and I would not say necessarily people at the tip top, although, you know, Hitchcock was pretty pretty, um, sadistic, but there's a lot of people working at the entertainment industry who wear the title of producer or wear the title of, um, director. And these folks actually, um, some of these folks actually do kind of get off on hurting people and they can be really toxic to you because a lot of times, um, they hurt people. If if you're producing on a project and the, you know, your um, co-producer decides he's going to run a casting couch, you know, that sends girls home in tears, it's pretty likely that you're going to be somebody that gets sued too. So working with sadistic people is always a dangerous and um, problematic thing to do. The other thing is these folks aren't really in control of their emotions very much. They get jealous, they get envy, they have rage, they have pride, they have passion. Um, And um, furthermore, they like to incite those emotions in other people, kind of like emotional vampires. So they will literally create havoc just because they like it. And it, that can really derail a process. You have to really think hard about whether or not you want to work with somebody who you determine is sadistic. Um, and, you know, again, in the entertainment industry, there are some people who are sadistic and who actually manage to make, keep their careers. And, and Hitchcock, you know, who threw birds at a girl for two days, you know, despite the fact she, one, didn't like birds and two, was getting all, you know, scratched up, he was allowed to work in the industry and went on to do a lot more films. So, and other people that work for him, not the girl, but other people who work with him and end up having um, good careers because he actually, um, because the credit on Hitchcock film was a good deal. You just need to be aware in that situation that you're taking a risk, that you're going to be one of the people that gets abused so that he chooses to be sadistic with. And it does make sense where possible to make sure that you can walk away if they decide to target you. Um, Sometimes working when you become the target of somebody like that, you tend to become very self-destructive. And the reason is because you're being tortured and you're being tortured in front of people and you don't understand why people aren't stepping up to defend you. Now, narcissism is something that a lot of people have to deal with in the entertainment industry. And, um, anybody that has to work with, um, people that own and operate businesses will eventually run across narcissists. A narcissist is a person who has (laughs) behavior which ranges from um, infuriating and soul scarring to actually homicidal. Um, If if you think you're working with somebody who lacks empathy, like they really have no empathy and they sort of treat everybody as if they were an object, like they don't recognize that other people have any kinds of needs at all. They don't understand that other people have needs or feelings that can be hurt. And even if they did, they don't care. if, if you run into people who need constant praise and constant attention in order to be able um, to function and they get really mad if they don't get that, they always have to be treated better than everybody else um, or their needs always have to be put first in order for them to be happy. Then you're working with somebody who's a narcissist and you should probably go take and do some research on narcissistic personality disorder because um, those people aren't, they're, it's very, Special form of crazy to work with somebody who's got narcissistic personality disorder, you have to be a mirror for their positive behavior and you have to make sure their physical financial and emotional needs are met because they really don't have the capacity to do that so a garden variety narcissist wants to be the center of attention all the time they want people to notice them and they want them to praise their work they want to notice how they look they want to know what, notice what they've said and these people will fly into a rage an absolute crazy rage if um, if they don't get that attention, it, they'll just literally blow up. You've never seen anything like it. It's <laughs> it's like they go ballistic um, for just you know because they failed to get the treatment that they that they think they're entitled to. Sometimes these people, instead of blowing up, up will just evaporate completely, and you'll never get them on the phone again. Um, and they'll do this when particularly when they think that their status or their position is harmed because they care a great deal about um, They care a great deal about um, their position. they never they don't ever want to be humbled true narcissists are not rational and they cannot be reasoned with and kind of the signature that you'll see is a lack of empathy and violent rages um, and They cannot you can't discuss things with them they become actually delusional. Um, they also tend to hold a grudge and they also tend to sabotage people behind their back. Sometimes you can run into people who are mentally ill or confused. And it's a pretty common situation actually. Um, in all of our lives, most of us are gonna run into a run into a time when we have a bout of serious mental illness. Uh, people who get diabetes, often the first sign is mental confusion. And sometimes they um, have their People who are becoming diabetics do it over the course of a year or two, and they just get kind of freakier and freakier and more and more fragile um, as, as the disease comes on. People that get cancer often get um, very fatigued and very depressed. You know, a lot of times the first symptom of cancer is actually fatigue and depression. Um, or people being treated with cancer have chemo brain, which means that um, they have a hard time concentrating. It's, a, it's kind of a, a lot of people are getting treated with, uh, for cancer with um, chemotherapy have that as a um, symptom. And these days, more and more people are getting cancer and continuing to work when they have it because treatments are getting better. People who are getting Alzheimer's, people who've just had a baby and have postpartum depression or or just aren't getting enough sleep, um, people who have clinical depression um, or post-traumatic stress disorder, all of these people are constantly working all the time. It's interesting to, I think I, I kind of uh, class addiction, um, you know, people who are addicted to drugs or alcohol in this same category because they, they have this monkey on their back. that's constantly making it so they can't focus on anything else. And their mood is changing minute by minute or hour by hour throughout the day without relation to what they're working on. It's only everything it's based upon, um, sort of, when the last time they had a drink was and when they need their next drink in order, or when they need to have um, their next hit in order to make um, themselves feel good. So you can recognize these people a lot of times when you have the sense, when they're describing something to you and it just doesn't make sense. I, I always have this feeling when I'm talking to somebody who's mentally ill or confused in this way, the two plus two equals giraffes. Or, you know, it's A, B, C, D, E, F, chickens, dragons, dinosaurs. And I'm like, I don't understand how we got the chickens, dragons and dinosaurs because we were on ABCD, but now we're on chicken dragons and dinosaurs you know, and it's like they just they just go they, the dots just don't connect the hard part is when they sh- they're performing in a key role like it's hard to replace a key actor um, or a director or a producer or the head of a company when they're um, mentally ill or confused it's, just, <laughs> it's like well, we <laughs> probably better just quit because there's no way to get around that problem there's no way to The interesting thing is that there's no way to force these people to behave because they literally cannot choose to behave, right? They don't have the capacity to do what they need to do in order to succeed. Probably the most common form of difficult person is somebody who's just plain incompetent. And this is because a lot of times people are better at selling themselves for a job than they are at actually doing the job. And it's interesting because these folks are so unaware that they're incapable of performing, that they'll happily sign a contract to say that they're gonna do something and then just fail to deliver. They're as shocked as anybody else. And the reason is because they're incompetent, so they don't know what it takes to do something. They're the kind of people who will totally be the lowest bidder um, uh, you know, for your sound man, because they don't realize that they have to have a boom operator. It's just, they think, well, I'll just go and put lavalier mics on everybody. And you go, no, you need a boom guy, <laughs> but they don't know because that's not something that, that they've ever thought about because they're incompetent. They're they're working above their pay grade. The real issue in in dealing with somebody that's, that you determine to be actually incompetent that just cannot perform is how honest they are versus how delusional they are. If they're honest and you can get them to say, yeah, actually, it turns out I have no idea what the fuck I'm doing here, that's great because you can just go ahead and say, you can go ahead and say, okay, well, let's just fix it. I'm going to go ahead and get this person and this person and this person to help you, and you're not going to get paid as much. I'm going to pay these people more. That's going to be straightforward. If they're delusional and they think they are competent, then you're going to have a struggle to get them to take less money, and you're going to you're either going to have to um, be prepared to fire them, and, and, and hopefully that's not going to turn into a hassle for you. Hopefully they can't stop the project moving forward. Or you're going to have to keep them on board and just take the financial hit of, of basically um, not letting them do their job and hiring other people to do it while still paying them. Basically, how you treat them has a lot to do with, with um, whether or not they can be augmented or replaced and how much resistance they're going to put up. The key thing in dealing with difficult people is that you have to be sane. Before a deal is built, you can look into the background and references of people you're going to depend on to get something done to find out if they're difficult. You can do small deals before you do big ones to road test team members before you go big. Um, You can get people to sign enforceable contracts. But ultimately, you're going to have to to accept that all careers and all companies are made of flesh and blood people from all walks of life, living in all kinds of conditions and enduring all kinds of things you don't know about. And sooner or later, you're going to get stuck dealing with a difficult person as an employee, as a partner, as an investor, as a director, as a producer, as a writer. And you have, when you run into that situation, you have to be the one who is relentlessly sane, and you have to be the one who's analytical, so you can figure out what they need to, what you need to do in order to um, get the project to move forward, or to determine that you have to step away from the project because it's just gonna be a disaster and you wanna get off the Titanic before it is fully sunk in the ocean. The next thing we should talk about is the fact that from time to time we're all difficult people. Um, sometimes you may find that you're working with a team you just cannot get in step with. If you have the concept that, that you know, sometimes people are difficult and difficult people have to be treated different ways, you'll understand when you become the difficult person what you need to do in order to make things better. You can say to yourself, look, am I being narcissistic? I mean, other projects I've done, you know, I've always sort of been the big banana on this particular project, I'm not going to be that important. Am I, am I the one who's causing a problem by wanting to, be treated, wanting to be treated the way I'm normally treated when I'm not in that position on this project? Um, am I being sadistic or psychopathic at the moment? I don't know. Um, or maybe I'm too mentally or physically ill to work. You know, maybe I thought I could continue to work, you know, while I was being, um, you know, or maybe I need to go to the doctor. You know, I'm really feeling run down. I feel really depressed. I feel really unhappy. Maybe I need to go to the doctor to get a physical because maybe I'm coming down with diabetes. Maybe I'm sick because I can't work with these people. I don't feel comfortable working with them. And maybe they're not difficult. Maybe I'm the one who's, who's too fragile to do my job. People who are successful, Um, achieve success by doing what it takes to make sure the projects and the businesses they work on go forward and making sure that the team members that they work with as they year after year um, are successful. So when you're the difficult person, if you can actually diagnose that and and, um, play a role in solving the problem of you being the difficult person, um, you make it much more likely that you're going to have a long and successful and profitable career. So what I thought I'd do is, um, Go ahead and ask people if they had any questions based upon the stuff that we just talked about. Do you have any questions or is there anything here that, that, um, or do you have any thoughts that you'd like to share about what we talked about?
1: I've had writing partners and I noticed a number of these uh, behaviors in their background as we went along. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, with one, I got to a finished script and then they wanted to team up with somebody else with the script that I (laughs)
0: Yep. So it was attorney time. Yes, it is. I mean, that, that's an interesting thing. Writing partners, this is one of the times, writing partners always have this problem. Writing partners and producing partners need to have an agreement between them because other right. that we just described happens all the time. And it's funny how often it happens because they can seem sane while you're writing with them because they're good creatively. And then they can be totally mental on the business side. I hate that. Hello? Can you hear me? Yeah, I can. Did you have, Are there any topics that I didn't address that you think I should have? Or did I say something that... Um, you'd like to um,
1: actually actually every single thing you're saying is in line with the situation I'm up against but one thing I'd like to add or maybe get your comments on mm-hmm. um, is, is this person is almost everything you described but also some a friend of mine told me because I might have to walk away from the whole uh, situation right now this producer is a friend mm-hmm. and everything's fine and I've had a lot of great opportunities Uh, being their friend but I've always had leverage because they've always needed my thoughts however um, they asked me to enter a project and I've had this red light red light red light and then my friend hit on this thing of uh, because uh, everything he said about none of my friends want to work with him Um, Mm. and uh, one thing he has is vindictiveness like when he doesn't get what he wants he puts people down and and my fear and then my friend uh, put his finger on it which is I would lose my leverage if I worked under him. Like he would tell me what to do. Um, and therefore I would be in a very bad position. So therefore it's probably better to walk away from the project and just be his friend.
0: Sometimes the only thing you can say to sort of get out from under that hassle is to have a disaster or something you have to deal with, you know, instead of it. It's I don't really ever recommend that people do business dishonestly. But when people are going to be vindictive, especially if they're friends, it's like, you know, they're putting you in a position where there's no telling them the truth is going to be problematical you didn't even want to be involved in the first place now you're involved you know you don't even want to do this deal find the reason why you can't do the deal oh i just took on a deal another gig it's going to be paying me too much or you know my car just broke i have to you know i'm going to be doing something else or i have to go back east you know just like find some reason to evaporate that 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 isn't related to the project but the
1: bottom line what you're also saying is if somebody has uh, you already see all the signs of them potentially being vindictive if they don't get what they want and you're then under their, your, their sum because you've signed a contract. It's right. best not to enter that deal, correct? Don't go,
0: into it. don't go into a deal with people that are vindictive and are doing business badly because you will get sued. It's expensive to do that. It's, it's the kind of thing that, in, that costs you thousands of dollars. <laughs> Hello. Hi, I'm here.
1: If you have somebody, I guess a similar situation, a writing partner mm-hmm. and you, you don't, I get a similar thing, you don't have an agreement, but you've worked on a lot of different projects, but now you have a film that's been in a film festival, but you want, um, you, you just want to make sure that you have an agreement because it seems like they, they didn't want to give you the credit when you wrote, you wrote the treatment for the documentary. And now they want to be the executive producer and just not like the things that we agreed to, it just got all changed.
0: So you're, what you're saying is you is you made a, a deal in good faith, and now it's it's turning out to be a case that um, that you're not honoring it. There's a couple of different things you can do. One, it's not a bad idea to see an attorney, um, and you can meet an attorney and just talk to them for an hour or two and say, "Look, this is the emails that they sent me. This is the deal." The other thing is, if it's if it's registered at the copyright in uh, copyright office in your name, then it's yours. And all right, I'm gonna check the 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 text really quick. So somebody said, I don't want to be on audio, but one thing that makes, makes it really difficult for me on sets is sexism. How do I handle this issue? Well, that is an interesting thing. Part of it is the sets that you're on. I mean, these days you can choose, if, you're, if you are working on um, sets that are primarily uh, female driven or where people have careers and, they, and they'd rather not get a reputation for um, being sexist, then... You're in a much better situation than you are if you work on really small productions where um, people are can get away with acting sexist because nobody cares about the project anyway. I have to tell you that I have um, I can put up with sexism for about you know a day and then day two I'm gonna get mean and um, I think usually what I decide is if somebody's sexist I just refuse to work with them because in effect. People who are behaving in a sexist way on set are really um, usually doing it because they're sadistic. There's no upside. If you really are a sexist person, you really don't think women are very smart, then you don't generally tend to, You would, in real life, if you were manipulative or whatever, you might choose not to hire them. Um, if you're a sociopath, you don't really care about them. You don't want to cause yourself trouble, so you wouldn't talk about them. Um, and if you're a narcissist, you don't care enough about other people to talk about them for the most part. So usually the kind of people that are sexist on set are, are um, sadistic and sadistic people are gonna be a problem. Sooner or later, they're gonna get themselves in real trouble um, and the only way that you can avoid being part of that trouble is actually to choose not to work with them. I would start actively looking for other gigs where people are not sexist on a regular basis. If you're working as an actor um, or a performer and it's a sad project, you can obviously um, um, report them to the union Uh, Or if people are registered with the DGA or or any of the other unions It's something that you could sort of file a complaint about but if you're working on a non-union production um, Or a small production It's probably not worth the hassle for you to get involved into calling them a sexist or saying that they're creating a hostile work environment Somebody asked um, Are there suggestions on better ways to find non difficult people to work with or collaborate with versus getting surprised or blindsided? If you go back to the checklist that um, I talked about at the beginning, the reality check at the beginning, and whenever you're first getting into a deal, you say, in order for this deal to work, everybody has to be better off. Everybody in the deal should be trying to make money. And everybody in the deal should be willing to talk about their, you know, be willing to talk about their past, and should be willing to sign a contract, should be willing to commit to doing Uh, what they said that they were gonna do. So those, I would consider those kind of acid tests that you can apply to every deal as you get involved. So here's a good question. What if people are spending too much time on their craft? Like the gaffer says three minutes to finish the life, but it takes 15. Or someone wants to experiment on something on Photoshop and you said you don't want that. They still go ahead and you were right and they don't want it. And now you have a major time crunch or makeup artists working too long on makeup because it's kind of a special makeup, but it's already 5 p.m. and nothing's been shot. So the situation that you describe is one of the reasons that I always, if I'm working on a big project or have something big I wanna do, I always start by hiring people to do a tiny project I don't care anything about. And the reason is because I figure if I hire somebody for a day to come in and do something and I can't get them to perform in that day the way I expect them to, I don't wanna work with them. Doing little trial projects, doing little one-day projects. I mean, the cool thing is if you actually create a little tiny video, you can post it on YouTube to promote something or advertisement you're going to pay, pay on Facebook, and you might only invest $100, $100 or $200 um, in getting a particular job done, and what they don't know is really what you're doing is you're auditioning them, right? I find that the doing little trial projects with people where I pay them and I expect them to perform gives me the best indication of whether or not I'm gonna be able to work with them going forward. And I usually discover the flaws pretty quickly. Um, and and also it makes it easy for me to walk away because I'll just decide, well, I'm not gonna, you know, if you can't do this little project, then I'm not gonna work with you. And they don't even know that they've been turned down for a job, you know what I mean? They don't realize that they just had an audition and I've just walked away. So you might try that strategy, that works pretty well. All right, great. I wanted to uh, thank you very much for taking the time to come on this call. I have a uh, um, a number of other ones coming up that I think you might like. So um, you might take a quick look on Nancy Fulton videos to see if I posted anything up there you might find useful. One thing I will mention is a a lot of the things that we just talked about here um, have to do with contracts. And there's a little $5 thing that was done by Justin Sterling where he talks about contracts and the fundamentals of what's a contract. And um, if you take a look at that, uh, you might want to watch. You might want to just spend the five dollars and watch the video on creating contracts because I think you would find that um, you're in a pretty good position if you hire somebody to do something and then they change the terms of the deal at the last moment, or if you're hired to do a job and somebody changes um, the de- details at the last moment, because in that situation you're in a position of distress. In other words, they're putting you under. They're putting you under duress. Um, when they're changing the terms of a deal, and um, it's gonna cost you money. And something that you agree to under duress is not really enforceable. It also talks about how to avoid making um, contracts by accident, which is um, happens a lot of the time. And if you think about two writers that start to work on a project, um, they really do, they do make a contract with one another. A lot of times there's emails, of the and those those can actually be used to say look we did have a contract i did my part you didn't do your part so you might the contract thing is interesting and there's also a thing up there about intellectual property rights which talks about um if two writers don't have a deal and they both write something who actually owns it the truth is that they both own it and either one of them can sell it so and it, and that also it's, you might want to do some research on the copyright site because if somebody files a copyright that actually doesn't accurately reflect, reflect the work that's done, that's actually illegal. When, you're, when you fill in the copyright forms, you're saying that if you're filing in, um, a statement that says this is an accurate reflection of who owns this particular work. So if you and another writer work together to create something or you and another producer or another filmmaker work together to produce something and it gets registered at the copyright Office without having the right owners on it, that is a that um, that's something that is something you can sue over because um, and because they've and and they've actually violated the law. So it's just it's worth taking a look at a couple of those documents just because going forward you need to know what your rights are so you can defend them. If you have any questions um, about this topic or anything else going forward, I hope you'll send me an email at nancy.fulton at yahoo.com. And I thank you very much for um, uh, coming to the event today. I hope, I I wanna make them all really good so people really like them. And um, I like, you know, I bring on guests that I think people will like. And if you have guests that you think I should interview, I hope you'll send me an email about them at nancy.fulton at yahoo.com. Have a nice evening, you guys.